Well, good morning, everybody. Listen, if you just stayed in bed in this cold rainy day, you'd have missed all that, right? Like, that'd have been terrible. Come on, aren't you glad you got up for church today? What's up with that? Come on, we have students up here leading worship, and uh, you wouldn't even know she's a student. If you're new here, we're grateful that you're here. Thanks for being here. Uh, I love what God's doing in our church, don't you? Come on, it's something special right now. It's been it's such a great time. Uh, I spent the last 10 days uh, in North Africa, and just a little bit about that, that trip, you know, I like to be able to go to places where we have partners on the ground to kind of evaluate what's going on, but also look for new frontiers and maybe report back from the front some of the things that God's doing. And we just had this opportunity to go and to serve uh, some Sudanese refugees. In the area where we were su- serving, there's over 2 million refugees from the Sudan who have been bombed out of their village villages um, at the Nuba, in the Nuba Mountains, and most of them are Christians, and that's the reason that they've been bombed. And so as we began to serve them, uh, we, came, we were able to teach in schools and to go and hang out with kids, which is not always my favorite thing, if I'm just being honest, but um, I got kids of my own. Uh, but uh, man, there was this one family that, uh, that had just moved there. They had been there probably uh, right at four months, and it was a mom and her five children, and uh, you can see them there. And now when we got to, the, you can notice some of the furniture. When we got to their house, she had nothing but just a room. They had a little burner that they cooked with and some running water. That was it. There was no, uh, uh, the electricity wasn't working. There was no furniture. It was dark. It was dense. They were hopeless. And so we were able to go in as we posted on social media. And many of you kind of came in and contributed to this. We were able to fully outfit their apartment. We were able to fully outfit. Um, they had, those, their, their kids had Never had a hot shower. Come on, somebody. You know what that's like? Anybody ever know what that's like? Um, never had a hot shower. Never felt running water. Um, they didn't have any power. They had no beds to sleep on. All they had was little mats in the corner. And so we were able to go in and just provide hope for them. And one of the little boys, a little boy that's in the red coat right there, um, he, uh, man, he, he prayed for us and he wanted to be a pastor. I'm like, what am I doing in my life right now? Um, It was so special. We just wanted to get our knees. I mean, it was so powerful. But also, not only were we able to do that, we were to pay for them to go to school for the rest of their uh, middle school and high school years. And you'll see them. This is their first day at school, them just being able to go in to register for school. And we can be able to get all the kids in school. And this is just the kind of church we are. Uh, man, we're going to go and find needs, and wherever the needs are, we're going to do our best to meet them, um, even if it pushes us out of our comfort zone just a little bit. So uh, it was good to be gone, but I'm glad to be home. Uh, and I'm glad to be back. So uh, thanks for giving me that opportunity, and I'm glad to report back. We are in this series today. Called, oh, and, and also what that means is when your pastor goes on a mission trip, you know what that means? He's going to preach for at least an hour, right? Because um, you're just inspired. Um, but I do that anyway. Uh, so, hey, we are in this series called Be Real. Let's all say that together. Be real. And the whole idea behind this is there's a social media app called Be Real, one of the most popular apps out right now where it doesn't allow any filters. You can't edit the photos. It sends you a notification. As soon as it sends you the notification, you take a picture and it shows a picture of of you, but it also has a rear-facing picture of where you are and what you're doing just to kind of remove any of the pretense that we normally post when we post on social media. And just part of that just filters into our own life where we live filtered and edited lives. You know what I'm talking about? Like, and, and we just live these lives and our lives become formed by things from the outside rather than being transformed by the inside. Let me let you in on a little secret. The world has a vision for your life. Have you noticed this? The world has a vision for your life. It want to tell you what to think. It want to tell you what to believe. 
Um, they, want, they want you, if you follow Jesus, and not everybody does, they want you to worship at the altar of tolerance for the sake of being all things to all people. And many times what happens is we begin to live a life that's more formed by what's on the outside of us than what's formed on the inside of us. Listen, the world has a vision for your life. Do you? Do you? Do you have a vision for your life? Do you know who you want to become? Do you know who you want to be? Do you know and recognize the inputs that are happening in your life? Like, do you have, do you have a vision for your life? You know, for those people who follow Jesus, you know, we're, we're actually called to be different. Be different. Now, I'm not talking about the weird ways that we learned to be different when we were kids. Anybody grow up in a church and, like, there were just some weird ways they were different? And they were, you know, there were certain ways you had to dress. There were certain things you had to say. If you had CDs, anybody remember CDs? You had to burn all your ACDC uh, CDs in the fire. Anybody remember that? <laughs> Way more people do than I thought. That's pretty awesome. But we have these ways that, that we're called to be different, and we have to be transformed, not conformed. We have to ha- let God's power bubble up from the inside, not, not come in from the outside. Um, there's a story about Dietrich Bonhoeffer that kind of highlights this idea of the power that we face on the outside, the forces that are conforming us into their image um, that Denise just read about. And uh, Bonhoeffer was a pastor as the Nazi Third Reich was rising in power. Now, some of you are like, Stephen, really, you're going, to, the, you're going to, to Germany in World War II to talk about this? Like, Hitler, really? Listen, if you think that, your life has really been formed by politics. That's all I'm saying. Like, that's the force that's shaping you. But it gives us a great illustration for us to look at and a great picture about what can happen in our own lives when other uh, forces began to form our lives. So Bonhoeffer realized that the Germany's acquiescence to the government as they infiltrated the church was not good and was not going to lead to a great outcome. And so he began to form a community of believers and began to teach and preach us about this discipleship and what it means for our hearts to be changed and transformed and how it looks like for Christians to be different. And some of his friends thought he was a little extreme. Some of his friends read his sermons, they looked at his community, and they felt like it was a little extreme. So Bonhoeffer grabbed one of his friends one day, and they take a little boat ride across the Oden Canal. And as they get across, they come up on the ridge, and they see the training ground. They see Hitler's training ground. They see the airstrips and the planes taking off and landing, and they see the soldiers who were training. And he says this. He says, this, what's happening in here, has to be stronger than that. This has to be stronger than that. And the same is true in our lives. For those of us who've just made this decision to follow Christ and we really want God to transform us and we know there's more to what we, uh, more to our lives than meets the eye, this, what God's doing in here has to be stronger than what's out there trying to shape our lives. You know, Jesus lived differently. Uh, Jesus just had this, this ability to attract people. His life was so appealing that people who had given up on God, had given up on purpose, had given up on religion, and they just began to follow him. He just seemed to have this ability to just have this power to live out of a certain, a certain joy, a certain level of purpose, that Jesus exhibited this level of kindness and compassion that people wanted more of it. Listen, the power in us, the power in us is fueled by the patterns of Jesus. 
And if we follow Jesus, man, the, the power in us is fueled by how he lived his life. And it's the power of God actually inside us. So I just want to be able to paint a picture today. I want to paint a picture of some of the forces that are on the outside, but of a better way to live. Listen, that God has offered us a better way to live. Listen, you didn't show up today, as I said earlier, and get up when it was cold and rainy to not hope that there's something different. Amen? To not hope that there's a better way to live, that there's not something different out there for us than what's been offered to us every single day of the week. So, hey, uh, if you don't have your Bible, I'm going to read right where Denise was reading in Romans chapter 12. And she said this. She says, I appeal to you. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Let me just talk about that for a second. So Paul is writing this letter to Roman Christians. Paul is not in Rome at the time. Paul is writing to the Roman Christians. It's like a letter that he wrote. And he has spent a large part of what he wrote just kind of walking through theology, like intellectual arguments about God, just kind of painting the picture of the theology, a very mental academic exercise. And so now he says the word, therefore. And anytime if you're reading the Bible and you see the word therefore, you need to ask, what, what is it there for? Okay? It's a transition statement. So Paul is transitioning from talking about academically what has happened to now moving into practically how we live this out. And so Paul says, therefore, I appeal to you, I urge you, I beseech you uh, by the mercy of God. Paul begins to talk about the mercies of God. Now, now let, me, let me unpack what mercy is. Now, now, I think we all know what judgment is. You know, judgment is you get what you deserve. You notice this? Like, so if you get a speeding ticket, what happens? You pay the fine, don't you? Unless you know somebody and you try to call them to get out of it. But generally, you're going to pay the fine. If you commit a crime, you do the time. That's judgment. And we have a sense of justice and judgment in our lives. Now, we honestly, if we're, if, if, we're, if we're honest with ourselves, if we're real with ourselves, we believe in justice for other people and mercy for us. Amen? <laughs> like, I believe in judgment for you, mercy for me. Um, and that's kind of the way, we're, that's the way human nature is. But we have judgment. Now, mercy is not getting what you deserve. Mercy is deserving punishment but not getting it. And so Paul says, hey, based on the mercies of God, like, the mercy of God is our motivation. It's not ourselves. Like, our dreams, not our motivation. Our, our purpose, not our motivation. The mercies of God is our motivation. Like, think about the mercies that we've received. Paul has just outlined all the mercies that, we've, that we have received as, as, as human beings. The fact that God, in his perfect um, sovereignty, has created the world, yet we rebelled and ran away from him and sinned. And we just caused all this disruption, yet God continues to pursue us. That no matter what failures, no matter what regrets, no matter what mistakes, no matter what uh, rebellion, no matter what addiction, no matter what conflict, man, God continues to come after us. I think about this. You just breathed. I think, <laughs> and you did nothing to create that breath. Like you didn't create oxygen or carbon dioxide that you exhaled. You did nothing. You just breathed it. That's, that's, that's a pure gift from God. Like, like what about the favorite meal you had last week? Like think about what you ate, like, like wh wherever you went. Or maybe you cooked it yourself. Maybe you got it out of a box. I doubt it. God did that. It's the mercies of God, the relationships that you have, the things that you enjoyed. 
the places that you went, the things you watched on TV, man, that is, that is the mercies of God. Man. And it says this, that his mercies are new. How often? Every single morning. And this is the mercy that we have. And because of that mercy, this is our motivation. It's not us. It's not our dreams. Have you ever been asked this question, if money were no object, what would you do with your life? Like, I hate that question because money's always an object. Have you noticed that? But we begin to be focused on our dreams and our purpose and what we want, and our life begins to terminate on itself. And any life that's about itself, when your life is about you, you're not living the best life possible. And you're, gonna, you're, you're headed towards destruction. Have you ever met anybody that lives their life for themselves? You know those people? Like you don't hang out with them, do you? Because they're miserable to be around. They are no fun. They, you want them to care about you because why? Your life's about you. But we know that a life lived for itself actually leads to destruction. That people that always talk about themselves, people that always spend money on themselves, people that always are out for themselves, that, that, that's not the best way to live. And so Paul says by the mercies of God, the mercies of God are actually, these are, these are, this is our motivation. Let me ask you this. Have you considered how much mercy God has given you? Have you you considered how much mercy God has given you? That when you were lost, he found you. That when you were dead, he gave you life. That when you were blind, he gave you sight. Like this is the, this is the motivation for us. This is the motivation for us. Then he says, Paul says this. He says, "I, I appeal to you. By the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, Paul just, it seems to have be a pretty big ask right here, doesn't it? Your bodies is a living sacrifice. You see, what the world will say is, hey, faith, that's just a category of your life. And many of us probably grew up with that idea. Faith is kind of a category of my life. And it's a little like this, where I, when I, as I was traveling uh, on this particular street that we walk down every day, um, there was a lot, it was a storefront, and out in front of the storefront was a lemur that was in a cage. And the, and the owner would stand out there with the lemur, and every now and then he would reach in, he would take the lemur out, and he'd play with it, he'd ask for money. Um, and I gave him none, because lemurs aren't that exciting. And then he'd put the lemur back in the cage, and for the rest of the day, the lemur would stay in the cage. And, and this, is, this is how we do with God, isn't it? Like there's areas of our life, like God, that's off limits. Like, you just, you stay in your place, I'll stay in mine, you do your job, I'll do my job, and when I need your job, I will ask you to do your job. There's a country song that says, um, talks about prayer, it says, I only pray, I only talk to God when I need a favor, I only pray when I ain't got a prayer, so who am I to, to need a savior, I only talk to God when I need a favor, and Lord, I need a favor. And man, there's probably some people here, you, you've done that with the Lord. Man, you've put him on the shelf. He hasn't been an active part of your life. And now you, you need something from him. And the beauty, the mercy of God that his arms are open wide. And that we get second chances. That he's always, he's a God who says yes. He's a God who always uh, welcomes us home. He's a God who goes after the lost sheep. Like this is the God that we serve. But we have to be careful that we're not just putting him in a category in our life. Paul says your body is a living sacrifice. Now, when he says body, he's not just talking about my physical body. Because there's some things about my body I wish God would fix. He's not working, right? But he's just talking about our entire lives, the energy of our life. Everything that our life is about, we offer our bodies. So he's, he, what Paul's point here is that God gets everything about our lives. 
So, so God gets everything about our life. So God gets how we handle our money. God gets how we parent. God gets our jobs. Man, God gets where we live in our neighborhoods. God gets our hobbies. God has our appetites. God has our ambitions. Man, man God also, man, he, he's the one who gives us approval, even though we run to other people for approval. So when Paul says this idea of body, he's just talking about everything. And then he says the word living sacrifice. Now, the people that Paul is writing to when he writes the word living sacrifice would have actually understood what a physical sacrifice would be because they would have sacrificed animals for forgiveness of sin. That was the culture that they had. So Paul takes it a step further and he says, no, 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 no. God isn't looking. He's not looking for something that's dead. He's looking for something that's alive. He's not looking for a gift. God is looking for who? The giver. God's looking for the giver. He's looking for everything that we have to go all in, that our bodies, every way that we live and think and operate, that we are a living sacrifice. That's how, that's how we're supposed to live our lives. And, and I think what for us it should really highlight is that sacrifices are serious business. Sacrifices are serious business. You know, too many times we can trivialize God in our life. Have you ever noticed how God kind of gets second chance and kind of gets the back seat in our life? Have you ever thought you should do something but you got too busy? Have you ever been on the way to do something uh, that would be worshiping God or to do something you knew God wanted you to do, but a phone call came in or a calendar event overscheduled you and you got double booked and that God took the back seat in that? Hey, have you ever thought, man, I really should pray right now, and you didn't pray? Have you start, ever started the new year and thought, I'm going to read the Bible this year? Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And about a weekend... You got busy, something happened. Man, this, this is how we live our lives. And so Paul is just highlighting the fact that it's everything that sacrifices are serious. Listen, we can't trivialize God. We can't trivialize God because there will come a time when he's going to be all that we have. Man, there's coming a time when he's everything that we need. There's coming a time we have nowhere else to turn. We can't trivialize God. And, he, and then he talks about this idea of worship, worship. You know, the very first lie that Satan told Eve and that Eve that caused her to sin actually was this whole idea of trivializing God. Like some of you may not know the story, but God created the heavens and the earth in the beginning, and he creates Adam and Eve from nothing, right? He creates Adam and Eve, and he gives them one command. He's like, there's this tree. It's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat that one. Everything else, knock yourself out. Buffet style. Whatever you want, you can have it. Take control of it all. Enjoy my good creation. And so they do. And then Satan comes in. And he asks Eve, he said, did God say, did God say you can't eat of that tree? And, And Eve said, God said we can't even touch it, which is not even what he said. And he said, you know what? God just knows that if you eat of it, you will be like him. Gibbs paraphrase. It's no big deal. Have you ever said that? It's no big deal about something that was really a big deal? You trivialize something, and it seems small at the time, but eventually, man, it festered like an infection and blew up into something debilitating. And this is what sin does in our life when we take God for granted. In Psalm chapter 51, 
David wrote uh, Psalm chapter 51, verse 17. He said, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. You know, we, we begin to worship things that are good, and they become God things. There's a saying in Christian circles that says when a good thing becomes a God thing, it's a bad thing. Like, you should write that down. A good thing becomes a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. And so when you have a good thing, something that you love to do, something you spend time on, it becomes a God thing. You begin to worship it. You begin to look to it for life. Then what happens? It becomes a bad thing. And we're all sacrificing for something. We're all sacrificing for something. Like, think about what you sacrifice for. You may be sacrificing for, like, if you, how many parents in the house? You know what I'm talking about. Come on. Right? You sacrifice lots of things. Your good sense some days. Um, finances, time, energy, resources. There's some sacrifice. But, but that's not necessarily bad, is it? Unless, unless, unless you worship your children, which can happen. You ever met anybody that worshiped your kids? Yeah, we know them. Man, some days I wonder if I'm not one of them. I mean, it happens. And a good thing becomes a God thing, becomes a bad thing. Like, you may have a hobby, and all of a sudden you just realize, I'm in over my head on this thing. Like, let's say you play golf. I don't know what your hobby is. Let's say you play golf. So if you play golf, what do you do? You get the golf magazines. You're reading all about it. The new, the new materials come out. You're reading all about it. You're thinking about it all the time. You're trying to talk to your wife about it, and she's like, yeah, 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 shut up, right? I mean, she's done. And you begin to think about it. You spend, your, you spend your free time down at the PGA Superstore, and you're just testing out the equipment. Eventually, you buy the new driver or the new hybrid or whatever it is that you're, you've been looking for, and you keep it in your bag, and then you play it, and then, you know, somebody wants to borrow. Hey, let me try that out. Uh, no, thank you. Um, I paid for this. You didn't. I don't trust you with it. And so you keep it in your bag, and you keep it in a special place, and all of a sudden, all of our attention is to be around things that really can't bring us the life that we're looking for, even though for some reason we think that it can temporarily. Listen, ask yourself, is what you're sacrificing for, is it bringing you the life that you want? Is what you're sacrificing, is it bringing you the life that you want? Paul, Paul, Paul goes on, and this is where the rubber hits the road. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Don't be conformed to this world but be transformed. So let me, let me explain a little bit about when you see the word world in the Bible. This is what it's talking about. It's talking about any system, any pattern that is set up to take us away from God. Now, now primarily, the system it's going to, it's going to use is going to peer right into our flesh, the desires that the Bible calls the flesh, the desires that we have that are just for us, that are surface-level desires. We have the world that sets up these patterns that take us away from God. Have you noticed patterns that take you away from God? Like there's one that's probably worse than anything. It's in your pocket or your purse right now. It's called your phone. As great as that is, and I know if you're under like whatever age, you're thinking, oh my goodness, this is old school. I, I, I would challenge you if, you, if you think your phone's good for you, use it for good. Google right now, what's wrong with me having a phone, and it will tell you. So even your phone will tell on itself the things that you have. Man, the, think about the level of alerts that we get every single day. Okay, so you're going to get one maybe for your calendar. You're going to get a CNN alert probably because you got those set up. ESPN alert. I mean, you got to know who the latest uh, signee is for the Georgia football team. Come on, somebody. You're going to have an alert. Like somebody, the Amazon 
delivery man drops off a package at your front door, you get an alert from Amazon, but also your ring doorbell took a picture of them. So you get that alert, and we're just bombarded with messages, and we touch our phone over 3,000 times a day. Like, think about that. 3,000 times a day. We touch our phones. And it begins to rule our life. This is why phones have been shown to lead to more anxiety, more social pressure, more depression. But everybody's got one. Everybody's got to have one, really. Like, do you? Now, are there times you should set that thing aside and put it down? You can just set an alarm to when you need to pick it back up, right? That's kind of what we would do. And so we have phones, man, that's just forming us, conforming us. When Paul uses the word conform, it means just pressed into this image. You wonder why you get the ads that you get on your phone for something that you just talked about. Anybody had that happen? Everybody had that happen? How many times have you gotten an ad for something you only thought about? Can you say conforming into the image of the world? we're called to be different, being conformed into the image. It reminds me, uh, it's, a, it's an old doll. It's an old, it's an old movie, but The Matrix. Anybody remember The Matrix? You saw The Matrix, most people. Like the whole idea behind The Matrix is that you have Keanu Reeves. Anybody know who Keanu Reeves is anymore? It's old, isn't it? I was talking to somebody this last week on the trip. They were in their 20s. They're like, who's Keanu Reeves? I'm like, oh, my goodness. Have you not seen John Wick at least? I mean, come on. And so in that particular movie, you have this idea of the matrix, this, this computer program. That's, that's really where people live. They're deceived on what's happening in reality. And they're living in, in, in this false reality, this virtual reality that's not reality at all. And that's, that, that's exactly how we live. Man, we get plugged into the matrix, and we go places and do things and listen to news and follow alerts and go about our lives and we completely miss the reality because we're conformed to the pattern of this world, Paul would say. Conformed to the pattern of this world. Do you know that you, you look like what you look at? Have you noticed this? That you look like what you look at. Have you ever seen pictures of people who look like they're dogs? Right? I've got a couple right here. Like, look, exactly. Right? And then I got another one. Right? Now, that one really doesn't count, but it, just to show a picture of a cute baby is always a win. And so, but when you begin to look like what you look like or who you look at or what you read, we begin to look like what we look at. Listen, Peter Drucker said this. It's our worst failure is succeeding at what doesn't matter. Succeeding at what doesn't matter. Ask yourself the question, how did I get here? I'm not talking about this morning, but like in your station in life, like how did you get here? However old you are, 32, 42, 58, 65, 22. Like, how, how did you get where you are? What decisions got you there? Like, how are you married to the person that you're married to? How are you dating the person that you're dating? How, how do you have the bank account that you have, the investment portfolio that you have, the house that you have, the job that you have? I, I bet if you follow that trail, some of the answers to those questions are you just got caught up in the inertia of life. You're not really sure exactly how you landed, right where you landed, but you just got caught up in the inertia of life. Ask yourself this question, what are your inputs? Like what are the inputs that you have in life that are, that are, that are, that are forming how you think, and how you feel, and what you believe? 
Like, what inputs do you have? What media outlets do you use? How often do you use them? Hey, one interesting way to find out is to take your phone, go to your battery, go to your settings, go to battery, and find out how... Find out the apps that you use the most. It'll tell you what's first. Sean, let me check yours right now. I'm just kidding. Um, You know what his will be? The Bible. Come on. You can go through and see what are your inputs. What's shaping and forming your brain the most? What are you spending time looking at the most? Hey, what are your inputs? What, What routines do you have? What people get the most of your time? What routines, what habits have you formed? And and, and are these just pressing you into the image of the world? Think about uh, some of the shows that you watch. Yellowstone fans in the house? Yellowstone? A few, not as many as I thought. Everybody's always telling me to watch Yellowstone. I've not watched Yellowstone. Got a few people. Like, if you think about the hours in a series, that you, anything that you've binge-watched before or that you watch regularly, you think about the hours that you spend doing that, and you were to compare and contrast that with things that you did to, that would take you towards God, patterns that would help you think like God, patterns that help you resist conforming to the world, like, what would the hour difference look like if you could put it on the scales? Like, if you have a favorite restaurant or a favorite TV series, that you love and you invite people to and like, man, you gotta, you gotta try this sandwich, you gotta try this show, you gotta, you gotta watch this. How many times have you also done that with people inviting them to church or inviting them into what God's doing in your life? Why? Because we get conformed in the pattern of this world. It happens it happened so subtly that we don't even realize what's happening, what, what's happening. Our lives begin to look like the world. Think about this for a second. Christian, the average person in the United States gives a little over 2% of their income. 2%. Like, not much. Like, rounding errors for most people. 2%. You know, you know how, how much the average Christian gives? 2%. It's exactly the same. How can that be? How can that happen? You know, the average divorce rate in the United States is the same as the average divorce rate in the church. Something is missing. And we're just letting the world conform our minds and our hearts and our beliefs and our actions. Listen, what systems are shaping you today? Like, what systems are shaping you today? You got to be sure they're giving you the life that you want. Man, what systems, what habits, what is pressing you into its mold? Paul says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. Ah, I love that word, transformed. You can be somebody new. He doesn't say you can be somebody different. He says you can be somebody completely new. Listen, if you're new today, this is the promise of Jesus. You can be new. You can have new life. You can be transformed today. Man, this is the promise of what we call the gospel, the good news of what Jesus came for us. That we don't have to fall prey to the pressures on the outside that are trying to conform us, but we have something that happens on the inside. The word transformed comes from the word metamorphosis. You've heard of this word. It's like this complete change that happens. Clark Kent walks into a phone booth. Who comes out? Superman. Transformation. Diana Prince starts spinning around, all of a sudden she has on that Wonder Woman bathing suit, and she is Wonder Woman. She is transformed. Man, this is what the promise of the gospel is, that we can become somebody new. Listen, God's vision for you is the person that you're becoming. 
That's God's vision for your life. Man, there's so many stories in the Bible over and over and over again about people who are being transformed. And you guys remember the story of Zacchaeus in the Bible? You know, every now and then I like to sing that song. You know that song? Some of you guys know it. I'm not going to do it today. But Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Ooh, I almost did it. So in the Bible, we have the story of Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Zacchaeus in the Bible, he is outcast. Zacchaeus has a lot of money, nobody to share it with. Zacchaeus is considered a traitor to his people. They would have turned their back on him. And Zacchaeus has pursued what he thought would bring him life, and it never did. So after Zacchaeus realizes it, it says that one day Jesus is coming down the road. And because Jesus was so popular, people are crowding around him from all angles. And Zacchaeus is short, so Zacchaeus can't get to see him. So Zacchaeus has all that seems to be going for him, but then there's something that's still missing. So what does Zacchaeus do? He's resourceful. Zacchaeus climbs up in a tree. And he climbs up in a tree. It doesn't even record that he said anything to Jesus. Jesus knew. Jesus knew. Jesus looks up in the tree and says, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm coming to eat at your house today. That big mansion that you have, that big table that nobody sits around, all that food that spoils because there's nobody to eat it, I'm coming there to eat with you. So Jesus goes, his entourage goes, they show up there, and people are complaining. How does Jesus eat with people like this? Doesn't he know who Zacchaeus is? In that moment, Zacchaeus is transformed because he had been taking everything. All of a sudden, he says, Lord, if I've defrauded anybody, I give it away. And God, even what I've earned rightfully, I'm giving half of that away too. And Jesus says, today, salvation has come to your house. Transformation. And that's the promise for your life today. And that's the promise for the people that you know. That's the promise for the world. It's the promise for our culture is that we can be transformed. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind. Listen, broken thoughts lead to broken beliefs. Broken thoughts lead to broken beliefs. So much of the battle we face is in our mind. You know, Satan's playground is the battle of our mind. Can I, can I just... I understand that we live kind of in a, a post-spiritual world, for lack of a better term, where you know, evil and demons and Satan has fallen out of favor. It doesn't make him any less real or dangerous. Come on. It doesn't make him any less real or dangerous. If, if maybe you're a little skeptical on that, I would just ask you this one question. Of all the evil you see in the world, of genocide that I just witnessed, man, of, of child abuse and sex trafficking, of you know, mass shootings where we just had another one in Los Angeles this morning. All that, who's behind that? You have to at least intuitively be intellectually honest to actually ask yourself the question, like, what's behind that? Now, from a Bible point of view, for people who follow Jesus, we know Satan's behind that, don't we? Like, we know Satan is seeking whom he can devour. He has built the systems to try to take us away from affection towards God. And so, so primarily how God will work in your life it's going to be through your thoughts. Like, I, I, I really don't believe that you're going to wake up tomorrow and think, I think I'll be a heroin addict today. Like, I don't think it's going to be that drastic. But what I do think is you begin to get just small, small thoughts that take you away from God. Small lusts that happen. Small appetites that can't. 
spiral out of control. Man, small desires that the world says looks good on the outside but actually delivers destruction. And this is the way Satan works in our lives. And so the Bible says we need to renew our minds because what we think about is eventually who we become becomes our identity. We need to understand and we need to really be really intentional and battle for what's happening in our minds. And, you know, it says in Colossians chapter 3, it says, Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. You know, C.S. Lewis said it like this. I think he said, People um, who are sometimes people are too heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. <laughs> You've heard that. But also, he goes on to say that the people who uh, thought about the next life were actually the ones who lived the best life now. And so, when we think about what's coming, we think about what's valuing, it drives hope in our hearts when we set our mind on things above. It helps us to rise out of the, me, of, uh, of the negativity and the stress and the anxiety of the day-to-day to really be able to focus on the hope that God has for us, and it begins to transform us on the inside when we begin to renew our minds around the things that God has for us. How do you do that? I think for many of us, we probably have adopted, pat- everybody probably has a different pattern in their life that's taken us away from God. But the first thing that you need to do, like if you're going to renew your mind, I mean, the first thing that, that needs to happen is you have to be what the Bible says, born again. Come on. You may remember that term from old school revival when you were a kid, if you went to some of that. Like a second birth is what the Bible teaches us. And sometimes we forget this. You have to know that you have actually made this decision to follow Christ. Being born again, obviously, I think you get the imagery of being transformed, of being a new person, of a new beginning, of new things that are happening. Old things are gone. New things have come, the Bible says. So we have this idea of being born again. And as you look at your life, has there been this time where you're like, yeah, I'm following that guy. I'm following Jesus. He's the one. He's forgiven me of sin. He's the one who's going to provide life. There's... There's this point that you have. Now, now you may look back on your life like, I don't remember the date or the time. Like, I don't remember, was it March the 3rd? Was it 1990 or 94? You're lost and going to hell, if that's the case. <laughs> Just kidding. That's a joke. Man, that did not go over well. <laughs> Y'all took it serious. Like, oh, no. Billy Graham sat like this. He says, you know, if you're driving on a trip, let's say you're going to Florida, you know, you may just get in that driver's trance that we all get into. And next thing you know, you're in Florida. You don't know when you cross the state line, but you know you're there. Like, that's what's important. If you look at your life, you're like, yes, I follow Jesus. Man, I follow the Lord. I know that I am. Then, then you've experienced it. For some people, you know you haven't. Like, ah, I've been holding out. Put God in that cage. Put God in that box. Now let him have this. I'm not letting him have my finances. I'm not letting him have my relationships. I'm not letting him have my job. I'm not letting him have my schedule. I'm not letting him have my house, my title. Like, you, you've put him over there. And, and, and if I could just be honest with you, I think Christianity in America, we've tried to piece Christianity together to make it so appealing. I want to talk you out of it today. He is asking for a living sacrifice. He is asking for your entire life. But here's what you're not told. It's so worth it 
Man, he gives you everything. There is nothing, it says, that he withholds from you. Man, there's this story. I wasn't even going to tell this. So prodigal son. Anybody remember this story? You know how it goes? All right, I'm about to preach. Let's go. So come here. Come here. Listen. So, so there's two brothers. One's the prodigal. One is, man, he is rebellious. It's like, I'm out. He takes his inheritance and he runs. And he wastes his money on prostitutes and drinking and drugs and everything else you can imagine. And he finds himself homeless living in the street. Every homeless person you see, by the way, child of God. And so he finds himself homeless living in the street. And he says, I'll just go back home. At least my dad will let me be a servant. But then there was this older brother, and he stayed home. It's like, okay. He's like, you, you gave this younger brother of mine, you, you gave him a party when he came back? What about me? Like, why not me? And the dad says this. Isn't everything I have at your disposal? Haven't I given you everything that is mine? And this is what this is God's offer to us. He says, Fear not, little flock, for it is my good pleasure to give you a kingdom. Right? This is the promise of the gospel today. And if you've never experienced it, man, you're missing out. I think for some people, though, we've been walking in church long enough, we're in the Bible belt, we know the routine, we know how to dress. We know the obligation. We know what we're supposed to do. And you've lost the joy of your salvation. You've lost the joy of your salvation. As a matter of fact, David writes this in Psalm chapter 51. He says, the same psalm that I read from earlier. David says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Maybe that's your prayer today. God would restore the joy of your salvation. Hey, first step to, to be transformed is just recognizing, man, I belong to God. My heart belongs to God. I've been transformed. Now, now the second thing you need to do is just to establish a good root system. You've got to establish a good root system. I mean, you're being nourished from so many places. I mean, you've got to be sure that you establish a root system that's going to nourish your soul with the things of God. Amen? And you've got to establish your root system. When you, look at, when you look at trees, like the largest living organism is actually an aspen tree. Because it's, it looks like a, a lot of aspen trees, but actually has this common root system because they've, they've interwoven together. When you go to Northern California and you look at the redwoods, those trees are so tall, but you'll notice there's not just one standing by itself. That their roots are actually very shallow, but they grow together. And you need a good root system. Like Jesus gives us some ideas about what that looks like. It's ironic that Jesus gives um, some spiritual disciplines for us to nourish our soul. You know what the first one is? Give. Wild. It says when you give. When you give. And so, so people who follow Jesus, we're givers. Man, we give. We give in any way. You know people like that, don't you? They'll give you money if you need it, but they'll also give you a word of encouragement. And they'll also give you some time if you need it. And they're the people you'll call when you need someone just to weep with you. They'll laugh with you. They'll mourn with you. you know, the Bible teaches that we're, we're supposed to be givers, generous. This is what marks us as different. Because what is the world saying? The world is feeding our flesh, saying it's about you. you got to get yours. You should be right. Who's looking out for you? Let me tell you who's looking out for you. God is looking out for you. That's who's looking out for you. And another one that Jesus talks about is prayer. You know, prayer has become a little, it's become a little bit uh, appealing. It's become <clears throat> promoted in culture through meditation. 
It's different, okay? It's different. Prayer is when I get before God and say, God, I'm an individual who needs help, and I know it, and I need you to help me. Man, prayer is when I pour out my life to God and I get him involved. Martin Luther said a, a, that, that, that there's no such thing as a Christian who doesn't pray. You can't be a Christian and not pray, is what he says. And Jesus points out prayer. Another one he talks about is fasting. I really think that this one is probably, this, this is definitely one in our culture. We're an indulgence culture. I mean, we do intermittent fasting. Why? So we can look better. Even that's about us. Come on, somebody. I'm not saying that intermittent fasting is bad. I mean, some of you should do that. You're with me. Praise the Lord. But when you fast, what happens is you're saying no to one appetite so God can do some work in your life. I heard it said like this. When you fast, it's like you put on noise-canceling headphones to the world. Like that's when you can truly hear what God is saying in your life. Man, God's word, man, God has given us his word. His word always points to Jesus. Man, they're the words of life. How could we do anything else? You know, there's a, a, a passage in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. <clears throat> it says this, and I just think this is a great way for us to close, just to get this image in our mind. Paul is writing this as well. And he says this, as we all, with unveiled face, we're beholding the glory of the Lord. We're being transformed into the same image, meaning the image of Jesus, from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, <clears throat> in the Bible, there's this, this scene where we have Moses. And Moses has been meeting God face to face. And Moses' face just glows because he's in the presence of God. And he has to put a veil over his face because it scared everybody. But eventually, God's presence had faded from Moses. He didn't need the veil. But he wore it anyway. So that people would think that he had met with God. And so Paul is saying, we don't even have to veil our face so that we can actually see the glory of the Lord. We're not getting it from somebody else. And we're being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to the next. Listen, God wants to transform your life. Like, no matter how old you are or what you've done or where you are, I mean, today you should look more like Jesus than you did yesterday and tomorrow than today. And that we can't let the world press in around us. We have to recognize what's happening. I mean, we have to know the inputs that we're receiving that are actually taking us away from God rather than centering us on God. Now, I, I, I do think that we have to do it in a way that's non-judgmental, but people are looking for something different. Come on. Like, people are looking for hope. They're looking for people who actually buy into what they say they believe. And listen, God is calling on his church to rise up. Listen, if you're part of our church right now, and if you've been here more than twice, you are. If you're part of our church right now, listen, God is writing a story in our church these days. Man, and it's only beginning to be told. And we have so much to do. And there's so much work to be done. And man, and he has got to be at the center of all that we do, not the world. And don't be conformed to the, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what the will of God is. Doesn't everybody want to know God's will? Doesn't everybody want to know? Let's pray together.